0: Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace What the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's come
1: before God in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that as we consider your word, that your Holy Spirit would be uh, taking uh, the sword of the Spirit and uh, uh, using your word to pierce our hearts and to help us to uh, know more of Jesus and to love him more and to follow him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the question that's on uh, everyone's lips uh, this time of year. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you all ready for it? Have you done your Christmas shopping? Have you uh, stocked up on all of the food that you'll need for the big day? Are you um, in panic mode or is everything under control? Are you ready for Christmas? I read, uh, if you haven't done all of your Christmas shopping the other day, uh, you may be interested to know that there was a survey that was conducted uh, just after last Christmas in Australia where uh, they concluded that about six million Australians received Christmas presents that um, they they, they say that they will never use. Apparently there is a lot of foot massages that are going to be put to the back of cupboards in people's homes. Uh, Then they also concluded that about uh, one in four of us uh, said that we gave Christmas presents to people who we don't actually like, uh, who we felt obliged to give to but would have preferred not to have given presents to them. Uh, You're not totally surprised by that, are you? Uh, It's um, the sort of thing you don't actually need a survey to work this out. Uh, Retailers, of course, rely on Christmas. They do a roaring trade uh, between particularly this week that we're about to, uh, which we're entering into, but I was at Port Central Shops with Alyssa the other day and I've got to say the place was absolutely buzzing uh, with people. It was packed. Uh, with uh, people who seemed to be very uh, focused in terms of you know, wanting to get that list of Christmas shopping done and people were, were buzzing around. and uh, I, w- Santa Claus was there and Santa Claus came rushing up behind Alyssa and myself, bumped Alyssa. As he went past, he said to us, sorry about that, uh, Merry Christmas, ho, 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 as he chuffed off to where he had to get to because he was in a hurry. It it was like that. But, you know, about um, three hours ago, uh, about quarter past eight this morning, I was in the church car park, and it's pretty silent, pretty still at that time of morning around here, but I could hear noise coming from Port Central because their car park opens up. Uh, onto the street that uh, uh, is nearby to here. I could hear noise coming from Port Central, and I stopped and I listened to the noise that was coming from it. And what I could hear was something which stood in very stark contrast to my experience the other day, because I could hear some words, profound words, coming from the car park of Port Central this morning. Let me share with you what those words were. Uh, The words were, Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King. Great words, aren't they? Great words coming from the car park of Port Central, but words which are almost completely drowned out by the uh, the busyness, by the commercialism, by the hubbub of Christmas. And so, this morning, what I want us to do, what I want to do is I want to just sort of strip away the busyness and the commercialism of Christmas. And uh, get to some of the heart of it, and uh, to remind ourselves uh, just one or two of the great truths that the uh, Bible teaches, uh, which we remind ourselves of at Christmas time, in terms of what Christmas is really about. So can I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, the uh, passage that was read to us earlier on. Uh, This, of course, is the story of Joseph and Mary, isn't it? Uh, It's a story that we're all familiar with, but maybe we're not as familiar with as we ought to be. Jesus uh, once posed a question to some Pharisees. And this was the question. He said, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Good question, isn't it? And I take it that that was a question which was pretty, uh, pretty much on the mind of Joseph uh, in the uh, incident that uh, is written for us here. Uh, when Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, whose son is he? You see, in uh, verse 18, we're told that Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, and uh, in the first century, Hebrew weddings were very different to uh, the the way that we do weddings and marriages um, in our culture, in, in uh, modern Western culture. <sighs> to be honest, I don't completely know how we do weddings and marriages in Western culture these days. It's all a bit confused, isn't it? You know, and for a lot of people it's kind of like you find a girl or a guy, you start living together, you uh, have some babies together and then you decide whether or not you want to get married and then you go and get married and, and so on. Uh, it's, that's probably a topic for another sermon, I guess. But even in our culture in the world, cultures in the world today... There are different um, approaches to weddings. Uh, Frank and Alberta are getting married in a few weeks' time. What's the date, Alberta? She's forgotten. <laughs> Frank, what's the date of your wedding? Uh, 29th, of 29th of January. And uh, I can say that you're all invited to come to that wedding, to the uh, church service, and it's going to be fantastic, very colourful. Uh, it's going to be a very colourful uh, occasion. But uh, in Ghanaan culture, you see Frank and Alberta are actually already married, uh, because in Ghanan culture, a couple gets married first in a family um, ceremony in, for Christians with a with a pastor, and there is the ex- <clears throat> the exchange of dowry and so on. And uh, after that, the couple is considered to be uh, married. But then it's usually 12 months or shortly after that, then they get married again. They have a wedding uh, in a church. And that is what uh, Frank and Alberta will be doing in a few weeks from now. So I just thought I'd take the opportunity to explain what will be happening in a few weeks and why um, <clears throat> you actually now... All, everyone now knows Frank and Alberta's marital status. <laughs> OK? All right. Now, it's different. Now, in Hebrew culture... Uh, it was different to modern Western culture as well in so much that there were two stages and in some sense a little bit closer to Ghanaian culture uh, because uh, the parents usually arranged the marriage. I don't think that happened for you guys, did it? No. (laughs) Uh, Usually they were arranged marriages and the families would get together and a contract would be drawn out or drawn up uh, and there would be a dowry which would be paid by the groom's father to the bride's father. Uh, the dowry was uh, partly in order to help pay for the wedding expenses. Also, uh, it was a, an insurance policy because in the event that something happened to the, uh, to the husband that the bride could be looked after uh, or if the marriage didn't work out, and once that arrangement was made, the, uh, the contract is worked out, the dowry is paid, then that couple were considered to be legally married, right? Uh, but the actual wedding ceremony did not happen till much later. And in that culture, in Hebrew culture, until then, until the actual wedding ceremony, ceremony had taken place the couple would have no sexual relationship and in their culture if they did that would be considered to be immoral. And so that was the status of Mary and Joseph. Uh, They were betrothed in that very legal sense but the wedding had not taken place. And so when Mary became pregnant Um, Joseph had a real problem to deal with, didn't he? Because he knew that uh, they had uh, not had a sexual relationship. He knew, therefore, that he was not the father. And that's confirmed for us in the passage in verses 18 and 25. Uh, We're told that their sexual relationship did not begin until after Jesus was born. Now, I think that it is actually easy for us to kind of gloss over this a little bit. You know, there's the whole Christmas nativity kind of thing. It's very romanticised and you can gloss over some of the earthy stuff that's involved. But put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Uh, As far as he's concerned, he had every reason to believe that Mary had been sexually immoral with another man that she'd basically committed adultery. And there are few things which are more harmful to a person than to have adultery committed against them. And the penalty for adultery uh, in the Bible was death, death by stoning. And so Joseph would have been completely within his legal rights to have had Mary charged and sentenced uh, to death by stoning. But what we see in verse 19 was that because of because he was a very godly man, a very righteous man, that um, uh, he was merciful and he did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, which could have potentially led to her death. And so instead he decided to divorce her quietly and you can understand why he had to divorce her when you understand what was involved in the betrothal in terms of the contract, the dowry and so on. But he changed his mind because in verses 20 to 21 <clears throat> something incredible happened an angel, a messenger from God appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, let me read those verses for you. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, that is divorcing her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now that that is what the angel said to Joseph but... Have a look at uh, what uh, Matthew adds to that, uh, where he says that all of this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the events that are recorded there for us are in fact the fulfilment the long-awaited fulfilment of what the prophets had said many years ago. And the prophet that's being referred to here is the prophet Isaiah. You see, uh, about 800 or so years prior to this event, uh, God made a promise through the prophet Isaiah where he said that, that a virgin would have a baby and the baby's name would mean God with us. Now, I think it's important that we look at the Old Testament prophecy to fully understand what was going on here. So can I ask you to open up, to go back to Isaiah chapter 7 for a moment? And you'll find Isaiah 7 on, about, on page 488. Now, remember the historical situation that when Isaiah prophesied that uh, Israel was a divided kingdom. Uh, You remember that uh, after Solomon died, that Solomon's son Rehoboam took over uh, over the kingship and he threatened to increase the taxes on people and God had raised up another man by the name of Jeroboam and there was a there was a uh, there was disunity within the kingdom, and ten of the tribes in the north split off and formed their own new kingdom uh, under the rule of, uh, of, uh, of Jeroboam, uh, whereas two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, remained faithful to the uh, to the family line of David and uh, their kingdom became known as the kingdom of Judah, and that was in the south. So uh, we've talked about that historical background uh, a lot over the last few years. Let me tell you what was happening at the time that Isaiah spoke these exact words. Judah, that is the southern kingdom, was under threat of attack. Uh, Judah's king was King Ahaz. Uh, He was an ungodly king. The attackers were the northern kingdom of Israel under its king who had gone into an allegiance with the king of Syria. And so there were two armies, two allies that were besieging Judah uh, to attack and to destroy And so the city of Jerusalem was under great threat. Now, God told the prophet Isaiah to go to Ahaz and to affirm to Ahaz that he would not be defeated in this war, that he would be victorious, but that all he had to do was to turn to God and to uh, ask for a sign. That is that God is saying that the king of the northern kingdom, he's gone into an, into, an, into an ally relationship with the king of Syria to get help. Well, if you want help, I will help you. I, your God, will help you. All you've got to do is turn to me and ask for a sign. Now, Ahaz, as I said, was an ungodly king and he rejected God's offer of help. Instead what he did, he thought he he was a worldly man and he thought in terms of worldly military strength and so instead he brokered an agreement with the king of Assyria which was a mighty nation. Uh, The king's name was Tiglath-Pileser. Now what was under threat here was not just the city of Jerusalem in terms of the physical city. What was under threat was the throne of David, the dynasty of David. Uh, You might remember, and I'll talk about this in a couple of moments, but you might remember that God had promised that a king from the line of David would rule over God's people forever. And so Isaiah... Because Ahaz had rejected God's offer, Isaiah said to Ahaz that since you will not ask God for a sign, well let me tell you this, God is going to give you a sign anyway. And it's in verse 14 of chapter 7. Let's read let me read that verse 14. "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. Right? Now we learn um, that the, the his name will be Emmanuel. Uh, what does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means God with us. A child would be born. And in, in Hebrew culture, a person's name, you know, wasn't just something that they plucked out of a name book or gone onto the internet you know it actually meant something about who that person is and this person's name would be God with us now we learn more about this child in chapter 8 and also chapter 9 of Isaiah but have a look at uh, chapter 9 verse 1 where it says nevertheless there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea, along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the, shadow of the land of the shadow of death, a, da- a light has dawned. Go down to verse 6. For to us, a child is born, to us, A son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty Will accomplish this. Now, in Isaiah's day, what what did this mean? I mean, you know, a son is going to be born, but this son is, there's something incredible about this son. What Isaiah is saying is this Isaiah is saying that no matter what happens in this world, that no matter what armies might attack and destroy, that the plan of God will never be thwarted, that a king in the line of David will sit on the throne over God's people forever. Forget about those armies that are attacking. The dynasty of David will never be terminated. One day, and God himself will live amongst his people as king but born as a man now if you come back to uh, to Matthew chapter 1 then in Matthew chapter 1 when the angel appeared to Joseph how did he refer to Joseph you see it in verse 20 in verse 20 the angel called him Joseph son of son of David son of David and you see the first half of Matthew chapter 1 uh, is all a, is a, is a genealogy you might think that the gene- genealogies are you know just boring difficult to read Hebrew names and you don't want to be asked to read this passage in the church service because you'll get it all wrong um, but there is great purpose to the first half of Matthew 1 uh, of, of Matthew 1 because what Matthew is establishing is that uh, is that Joseph is in the legal line of David, genealogically. So in verse 17, he can say, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. That is as a human, Jesus is in genealogical line because Jesus was, though not Joseph's biological child, he was his legal child and that that in terms of that human legal line, that he is a descendant of David. And so what is happening to Mary is the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy because uh, way back into Samuel chapter 7 and in in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is that passage you know when David says to God I will build a house for you what did God say to David did he say yes or no he said no he said David uh, you will not build a house for me I will build a house for you and by house he didn't mean a temple or a palace he meant a dynasty I will build a dynasty for you And it's it's also repeated in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And God promised that that there would be a descendant of David who would be king over God's people forever. A man who would be king for eternity. This is an extraordinary promise. And it's the fulfilment of that promise that we see here. Now when you think about it, I think it's rather strange. Did anyone watch Carols in the Domain last night? Yeah, did they sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Oh, come on, every carol service has to have Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Did we sing it at ours? I'm sure we did. Yeah. It's rather strange that people sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing because the carol says Hail the Incarnate Deity. And what that's saying is that the baby. That was born in the manger is actually God in the flesh. That's what incarnate deity means God in the flesh. But do people really believe that? I mean, do they believe that the the baby in the manger was in fact the creator of the entire universe? Do they believe that that baby in the manger uh, is the ultimate reality? of all existence, the one who was before all things. Is that, what, is that what your friends believe about Jesus when they sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Who do people think Jesus is? Whose son is he? Many people would say that Jesus was a good man, a religious leader who taught great truths, uh, and that we can, it's therefore right to celebrate his birth. But Isaiah 7 says that the child would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Isaiah 9 promised that the child would be Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government there shall be no end. Extraordinary claims. But as we've seen this year, as we've gone through most of John's Gospel, that these were extraordinary claims that Jesus himself made about himself. Uh, Do you remember when he was having that little tussle with the religious leaders about Abraham and uh, he says, I tell you the truth before Abraham was, I am. Claiming the very name of God for himself. Claiming that he pre-existed before Abraham. What else did Jesus say? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. These are extraordinary claims, but claims which Jesus backed up uh, by the his control over nature in the miracles and ultimately in the resurrection, as we've been looking at over the past few weeks. Uh, the New Testament letters teach that Jesus is both fully God and that he is fully man. Now, it's hard to wrap your mind around that, how he can be fully God and fully man at the same time. Throughout the history of the of the church, there have been false teachers who have said that Jesus is either fully God or he is fully man, but he can't be both. That is, some false teachers have denied his humanity, others have denied his deity. He's either fully God or fully man, but he can't be both. But friends, he must be both. He must be both. Because in verse 21, what was the name which the angel told Joseph to give to the boy? In verse 21, you are to give him the name Jesus. And the name Jesus means the Lord saves. It's the same as the Hebrew word Joshua. A couple of weeks back when we had the cornerstone people come up, I gave a talk on uh, this topic. Uh, It was an uh, an amendment of the Christmas Carols Night talk uh, to a group that was 50% um, non-Christians. And afterwards, a lady came up to me and she asked me some good questions. And she said to me, firstly, in the first century, did other people call their sons Jesus? that's a good question. And she said, and if they did... Why? Did they hope that their sons would save their people? Now, the answer to the question firstly is yes, Uh, Jesus was a common name in the first century. But when people named their sons Jesus, they did so because they were remembering that it is God who saves. Friends, human sin is so great that there is only one person who is qualified to pay The debt for the sins of the whole world. And that person is God Himself. God is the only one who's qualified to pay for our sins. But in verse 21, the reason Mary's son was to be called Jesus was not simply because it is God who saves, but because He would save His people from their sins. And He did that by dying on the cross. As fully God, Jesus has the capacity to pay for the sins of the whole world and infinitely more. As fully man, he's able to die as our substitute. He's able to die as our representative. He is able to die as the one man who always fully obeyed God the Father. He can die in our place so that if you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? You could say with confidence, because your son, God the Son, who also happens to be my perfect human brother, has already paid the debt that I owed. Perfectly God, perfectly man. And that's how the carol goes, doesn't it? Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God and man. And it's with very good reason that Matthew begins his gospel by teaching these two great truths. That Jesus is fully man in the family dynastic line of David and that he is fully God. I had a a friend who... Uh, claimed to be a Christian, who read the Bible regularly and who went to church occasionally. And uh, my friend, though, would say that she did not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. Um, She thought he was a great religious teacher. Uh, She thought that he was worth celebrating at Christmas, but that he was not God. How could a man be God? But friends, it is only because Jesus is both fully God and fully man that His death on the cross can save us from our sins. Our relationship and our salvation, uh, our relationship with God and our salvation, stands or falls on these great truths. There are certain truths in the Christian faith that Christians can disagree with one another on, and uh, still be right with God there are certain other truths that are non-negotiable. The humanity and the deity of Christ, his death on the cross as an atonement for sins, his resurrection, his coming again, the doctrine of uh, that God is the creator. Uh, These are doctrines which are essential uh, for our salvation and essential to believe Uh, denying these doctrines puts someone outside of the category of being a Christian. Now, there was a, um, there's a painting in a museum uh, in Brussels, Uh, it's by the name, uh, uh, painted by a fellow by the name of Peter Bruegel. Can you see that painting on your screen? Okay, it's a bit uh, light up the back there. Uh, the painting was painted in 1566 and uh, Bruegel's painting uh, depicts a typical village, a Flemish village uh, at, in his day. And uh, if you can see that, uh, you can see that uh, it's a very busy kind of painting. That, uh, it's, uh, what season would you guess that, that would be? It's wintertime, it's snow on the ground, So it's probably, uh, yeah, and uh, there's a lot of people. You can see some kids are playing in the snow and there's other people going about their business. There's people crowding around in a particular building there. But, you know, in that picture, in that portrayal of the busyness of life, there is something incredibly profound that is happening. I wonder if you can see it. You might want to look at that for a moment or two. Something profound happening. Can anyone see it? What's that, Joanne? A lady, a, a lady on a donkey. And most of us missed it. There's a lady on a donkey, and her husband is walking before her, and that um, building that they're heading towards happens to be an inn. Most of us missed it, didn't we? And I think that was Bruegel's point that he was making in his own day to his contemporaries. That in the busyness of life, in the activity, the commercialism, in our uh, work and in our play, that we can so easily miss the most important truth of life. uh, That there was a man and a woman and that woman gave birth to God incarnate that Jesus is God Emmanuel come to live with us now where's Catherine Uh, there's Catherine Catherine is a hairdresser Mm, did everyone know that yeah I reckon Catherine has got one of the best jobs in the whole world when it comes to being able to spend time talking with people and finding out uh, what people think. In fact, uh, when I want to know what people in Port Macquarie are thinking about a particular issue, I don't bother reading the Port News or the Port Express. (laughs) I just have a chat with Catherine. Uh, Catherine, you know, we talked about this... You know, uh, uh, you know, we, we, in, uh, before elections, haven't we, Catherine? I said, Catherine, who do you think people are going to vote for? And you know, she's always spot on. She's she's got the finger on the pulse. She's the intelligence of uh, you know, our our spy in the community. Um, Catherine uh, has a great understanding of what people are thinking. The other day, Catherine had a question herself that she asked a few of us because. It's the question that her clients have been asking her. And she said, here's the situation, all right? She said, the client settles back into the chair in the salon. The hair job is about to begin. And the client says to me, so, are you all ready for Christmas? And Catherine said, well, how can I take that common question and turn it into a meaningful conversation? How would you do it? What would you say? Well, here's the answer that a few of us came up with. You can probably think of better ways of handling it. But we thought, you know, rather than just getting into a whinge session about how busy Christmas is and how you're kind of trying to figure out how to buy that present for the person who's got everything and all of the grocery shopping that you need to do and why do we have Christmas anyway and you know it's a can't wait till it's all over etc etc. How about saying this? Yeah I reckon that there's so much to do before Christmas that we can just forget about what Christmas is actually all about about Jesus how would you answer the question and hoping that that would lead to a conversation turn the conversation around to Jesus who is the one we celebrate at this time of the year Well, let's pray shall we gracious father we thank you for your faithfulness to your promise that there would be a child who would be born of a virgin and uh, that he would be God with us and that the government would rest upon his shoulders, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Father, it is impossible for us to wrap our minds around how profound it is that you, uh, in the person of your your son, should come into our world to be one of us and to die for us. But Father, we trust and we accept with faith that this is what you've done and you've done it because you love us. We pray, Lord God, that at this time of, at Christmas, that we would particularly Uh, focus not on the trivialities of this festive season, but on the reality of who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and how much you love us. And we would pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, you would open up opportunities for each of us to uh, share just a little little word uh, with those around us about Jesus, and that you would be pleased to draw some to yourself, through this time. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.